the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. You see, this is the amazing thing about radio. On a day like today, when it's all kind of coming together organically, translation last minute, (laughs) and we say, where's the first guest? Can't find him. Jarrell manages to pull out a rabbit out of a hat and come up with them anyway. It was a little bit shorter than I thought we'd have Brad Dacus on the show tonight, but uh, that's okay. We'll we'll take a rain check for next time. Good afternoon. Welcome. Great to have you on board. Another edition of Don't Let This Happen to You. <laughs> As we are here Monday through Friday addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. All right. Well, we've got a, we've got an interesting program for you today. Um, as we're kind of beginning to lean into um, the significance of Easter week. Of course, Monday, Thursday, coming up on Thursday, Friday, Good Friday, and then uh, the glory of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. We thought to kind of begin to put you in through the the spirit, uh, kind of get that mindset headed in the right direction. We'd spend some time tonight with a number of special guests. A little bit later on this evening, Dr. Charles Stanley will drop in. Uh, We're going to be talking with Dr. Stanley about how to live the fulfilled Christian life. Um, Scripture reminds us that old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But how do we go about living out that new creation, that new life, that fulfilled life in Christ? We'll talk with Dr. Stanley about that a little bit later on in the second hour this evening. Coming up in about, oh, 10, 15 minutes or so as the crow flies, um, we're going to air something that I've, I've shared with listeners on a few occasions down through the years, a physician's perspective on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And there's a series of articles that I used to read. I've been long hoping to find a doctor that would either come on the program or do a presentation that essentially breaks down the details of the passion from a medical perspective. I think if you hear it from a medical perspective and begin to catch a tiny glimpse of the degree of suffering that took place, it puts, at least for me, a whole new perspective on Good Friday and a greater sense of appreciation for the glory of Easter Sunday. Dr. Greg Veeman will be on the program later on. We're going to air a talk that he gave at Calvary Chapel, Wilmington, on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ from a medical Perspective, And we'll get to that coming up a little bit later on uh, in this first hour. And then, as we say, coming up in hour number two, Dr. Charles Stanley will be with us. Also, Pastor John Jester from um, How Soon They Forget. Why have I just drawn a blank? That's terrible. Watsonville. I was going to move him to a different town with a W. Watsonville um, the Community Church will also join us on the program tonight. John, if you're listening, I apologize. I just had that momentary brain freeze, as it were. Sometimes it happens from drinking something cold. Other times it just 
happens and you have that little unexpected pause. At any rate, um, Reverend John Jester will join us from um, uh, Watsonville Christian Church talk a bit about some of the special services they have coming up later on in the week. The story of Easter is really one story in two parts, his crucifixion and, on the third day, his resurrection. The two events, while seemingly distinct and separate, are actually just two sides of one great event. Because without the crucifixion, there is no payment for sin, and without the resurrection, there is no victory over the grave and thus no redemption. This week, of course, those two events collide between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. A very special event taking place, and we'll find out more about that in a moment. But first, let's welcome into the program a special guest. He is the senior and founding pastor of New Beginnings Community Church in Redwood City, Pastor Herman Hamilton. Pastor Hamilton, great to have you join us. Greg, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and just wonderful to be with you again. You know, a lot of believers get excited about Easter Sunday, certainly, and then there are the the, uh, twofers, the folks that show up two for times at church between (laughs) Christmas and Easter. But I'm wondering if sometimes the significance of this time of year doesn't get a little bit lost. Some people think about Good Friday, for example, and the Passion of Christ and think, you know, it's it's a sad story. It's a painful story. And I, I don't want to think too much on that because I want to spend time thinking about the glory of Easter Sunday. But is it really true that without Christ's suffering on the cross, there really is no Easter Sunday? Well, absolutely. And for a, a, a couple of reasons. Uh, one reason is, uh, as you indicated earlier, uh, Jesus dying on the cross uh, is uh, if you will, the, the atonement that is made available uh, for all who will put their faith in him. So the way I like to say it is that Jesus was crucified uh, on the cross uh, for our sins so that, we don't, so that we won't have to continue to crucify ourselves. And uh, uh, if we simply uh, are honest about where we've messed up and turn to him, uh, the resurrected one has grace and a brand new life. So that's one reason that's important. Secondly, though, which is, I think, uh, super important as well, uh, life is full of a lot of valley moments, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of struggles. We wake up and find ourselves hurting um, from, uh, you know, suffering with cancer to divorce. Uh, and so often we feel isolated in our pain. And we hear preachers say, you know what, God is with you. But the proof that God is with us is this one called Jesus, his son, who says, I love you so much that I'm going to endure the most horrendous suffering imaginable to humanity uh, there on that cross. And I always like to say that if Jesus loved us enough to suffer death on the cross, it is the eternal proof that he is with us in whatever suffering we're going through right now. 
I was always struck by the Apostle Paul's observation, and I think it it's something that uh, certainly has given me pause in my own life. Uh, maybe it ought for all of us. I don't know. When he talked about wanting to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, the power of his resurrection part, we all get excited about that. We look at that and say, wow, boy, there's healing and there's restoration and there's reconciliation and revitalization and all those great R words all wrapped up in the power of his resurrection. But in the fellowship of his sufferings, ooh, that, that mm-hmm. kind of gets sticky. That I, I don't know if I want to go there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's, and, and if you notice that passage in Philippians very closely, Paul uses the language Christ Jesus. So it, it's a little insight about Paul. Whenever you use the language Christ Jesus, he's primarily talking about post-resurrection, Jesus on the other side of his resurrection, the, the living Lord. And what he's saying to us is that that living Lord, uh, to fully know him, uh, you, you, you don't just want to know him in the power and the glory and in the victories that he brings in our lives, but we also want to know him in, in, in how he is suffering right now. And one of the ways that he's suffering is that he enters into our suffering. And, uh, and he knows us uniquely in suffering. So as Christians, followers of Jesus, we too must be willing to enter into the suffering of others, the suffering of others. Uh, and that's how they know that Jesus is present. And that's how we live out our faithfulness to Jesus, by being willing to to engage in other people's suffering along with them. It's a pretty incredible thing to call that. It is indeed, and I think it ought to cause every believer to pause and to reflect and think about those words. And, and I think, too, about not just entering into a spirit of, of, um, of repentance and pondering the meaning, the significance of God loving his creation, mankind, so much that he would sacrifice his only son on the cross, the anniversary mm-hmm. which we, of course, mark on Friday, and then would reach down and would literally pull his son out of the grave, mm-hmm. miraculously so. And, you yeah. know, it's interesting. You look at the, the account of Christ's resurrection, um, it, it should be lost on no one that uh, the the not only did the Roman centurions, the Roman guards, know nothing about what really happened. <laughs> They're trying to figure out how the dead guy rolled away the stone. That's right. And then the two first two individuals that Jesus encounters, um, you would think, well, you know, if this story was being made up, you'd want to find people that have a good reputation. You'd find somebody that's an important individual, well-respected within the community, and you'd say that, well, he ran into them. No, the first two people that we find that have an encounter with Jesus after the resurrection are both women. Yes, 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 yes. No questions about it. And uh, I always like to say, and so in a sense, in a real sense, they are the first evangelists. They are the first preachers. They are the first proclaimers. They're the first people to go share the good news. Uh, That's what the word gospel means, the good news. The good news is that death has been overthrown, that evil has been defeated, that injustice uh, has been robbed of victory because Jesus lives. 
And we, of course, are carried on or, or, or mandated to carry on that legacy by continuing Absolutely. to proclaim and share the good news as, as part of the evangel, as part of the gospel. And, of course, we celebrate the significance of what all of this means on Easter Sunday. And toward that end, there's a very special event that's taking place as part of your congregation, New Beginnings Community Church, that's going to be this Sunday, Easter Sunday, April the 1st, at the Flint Center for the Performing Arts down in Cupertino. Tell us more about that, Pastor Hamilton. Well, it's a wonderful opportunity. We uh, we go to the Flint Center in order to uh, not just house our community, but to give us a chance to reach out across the bay. And, of course, you know about our church. We are, we are an extremely diverse community in this remarkable uh, congregation called New Beginnings, uh, worshiping together on any given Sunday. Uh, and on this coming Sunday, we're going to gather that community and all of our friends and families and others uh, at the Flint Center for a remarkable uh, Easter celebration. And if you know anything about the uh, Flint Center, it is a performing arts center uh, there at DeAndre's uh, College campus. And so we're going to have about a 70 or 75-minute worship service gathering, we call them. And it's going to take advantage of all of the technological capacity of that facility. Uh, We're going to have energetic and incredible music and dance that reflects uh, both contemporary and urban uh, gospel music, uh, really uh, celebrating the, the fact that Jesus lives. At 8.30, we're going to have something called the Jerusalem Marketplace. And listen, you guys are listening. You do not want to miss this, uh, that we've, we've transformed the entire kind of front yard, if you will, of the Flint Center into we've gone back 2,000 years. We have tons of people in, in um, costumes at the place. We're going to have a DJ uh, playing all types of music that reflects that era. Uh, we're going to have food and live animals moving around, a petting zoo. We're going to have something called a blessing center. This is, this is one of my most favorite uh, parts. In the Jewish tradition, they have a ceremony whereby parents bless their kids. They offer a blessing, oftentimes using Moses' blessings uh, uh, over the people. They offer a blessing over their kids. They speak those blessings in the lives of kids. So we've got a blessing table where you can bring your friends and family. We've got a little thing that's structured so we'll help you out. Some people can't even get into a decent relationship, and some folks can't hold on to, uh, can't move up the ladder in terms of their career, primarily hidden beneath the surface of their lives is this inability to forgive themselves for something that took place. And so that's going to, I'm going to deal with that and deal with how Jesus' death on the cross uh, has opened up not only the opportunity for us to be forgiven by him, uh, but for us to forgive ourselves, and I'm going to be pretty practical with how to do that. And uh, I'm excited. I'm, ex- I'm more excited about this Easter message than I have. I've preached about 27 of them in the last 27 years. And I, this will be, I'm more excited about this Easter message than any I've preached before. Well, and certainly listening to the overall description of what's going to be taking place again this coming Sunday, April the 1st, that will begin with the service at 10 a.m., but don't forget that Jerusalem Marketplace that Pastor Hamblin spoke of that will be open at 8.30 a.m. in front of the Flint Center. All of this happening at the Flint Center for the Performing Arts in Cupertino. Free entry, complimentary parking, child care, by the way, will be provided from uh, six months old to kindergarten during the service. You can start arriving for that at 
at 9.40 a.m. Details available on the web at nbccbayarea.com. Think of New Beginnings Community Church, nbccbayarea.com. Pastor Herman Hamilton, thanks so much for the time and sharing, and uh, Godspeed on Sunday service. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It was a number of years ago, probably, oh, I don't know, along the lines of 35-something years ago, that I ran across a series of articles written by a medical doctor who takes a look at the medical perspective on the passion of Christ. It was an eye-opener for me as a young believer to begin to really comprehend, to the degree possible, of the amount of suffering that Christ went through on our behalf. And down through the years, I've read that article, series of articles here on the air during Easter season, and I've been long looking for a physician that would do something current. Well, lo and behold, we finally found it. We're going to present a talk given by Dr. Greg Veeman. Dr. Veeman was born and raised in Wilmington, Delaware, where he attended and graduated magna cum laude from the University of Delaware. He attended medical school at Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia, graduated number one in his class, and became a Christian a number of years ago. And from a doctor's perspective, researched the true meaning, the true medical aspects of the passion of Christ. Now, let me mention to you that this is not easy to hear. And if you have young children, young ears around, maybe better busy them in another room. But I think from both a medical and scriptural and theological perspective, what you're going to hear will be, I think, very convicting at a number of levels and certainly awakening at others. This talk was given at Calvary Chapel in Wilmington just about a year ago, entitled The Crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Medical Aspects. Listen and learn. Dr. Greg Veeman. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for today. We thank you for this church and the people and the wonderful worship. And Lord, I just pray that all the things you have for me to deliver to them would be delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit to your glory and your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're going to talk about today is the medical aspects of the crucifixion of Jesus. And the reason that we're going to do it is that we need to understand the price paid and how severe it was. Because the price that is paid for something reveals the debt, how much trouble you were in, and it also reveals the heart and the love of the person who paid it. Jesus said, whoever is forgiven much loves much, right? So think about it. If you have a debt and it's $100 and someone pays it off, you're going to be grateful. But what if you had a million-dollar debt and someone paid it off? You'd be like, whoa, who, who is this person paying this for me? But what if it was your own life and you're on death row and then someone says, no, I'll go and I'll take it? You see, you're going to be much more grateful, aren't you, to the person who did that? And But you've got to understand both sides of it. You've got to understand the debt, how serious your debt was, your crime was that had to be paid. And then when you look at that, that helps you see the gratitude, the love of the person who paid it. Now, 2,000 years ago, God became a man. 
Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity who added a fully human nature to his deity to become the God-man. He is 100% God and 100% man. One person, united forever, for all of time. He still is the God-man. Perfect, sinless deity united with perfect, sinless humanity in one person. An incomprehensible fact that I cannot explain to you, but we know that it's true. And this God-man, Jesus, came, stepped into space and time, and entered the earth, and had his ministry. And then, in the culmination of events, he goes to the cross to pay the price for the sin of the entire world. Each and every person, individually. And we'll talk about that more, but we're going to look at just the crucifixion aspect of it, because let me, you need to understand there isn't one mark, there isn't one thing that he suffered that didn't have some kind of purpose. Not one lash, not one blow, nothing. Every single one of them was necessary to pay the price for sin. I can't explain it to you, but we know that that's true. The Father did not let one thing happen to him that didn't need to happen. So let's talk about the crucifixion. Now we know that in the garden, Jesus was under tremendous stress. This is the night before his crucifixion. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, right outside of Jerusalem, with his disciples. Let's read in Matthew what Matthew records. Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Wow, what does that mean? What is he talking about? He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then if you read carefully, it says he prayed this two more times. So there's a battle going on here for the humanity of Jesus that's saying, hey, if there's any other way out of this thing, looking down at this thing, and the God part of Jesus who's going to conquer that and do it, and Jesus submits himself to go through with it. Now look what Luke adds. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, only Luke, who is a physician, adds this, which is an interesting fact. And if you look at this, and I can't, we, can, we have a whole talk that I, that I can give on this, but this is consistent with a known medical condition where people have blood in their sweat. The technical term is called hematidrosis. Us doctors have to have fancy medical terms to make us seem smarter than we really are. That's why we can't, couldn't just say bloody sweat, could we know? We've got to come up with a fancy term anyway but this is a condition where under when you're under severe stress the nervous system is so stressed that it actually causes a rupture of the blood vessels around your sweat glands and you bleed into your sweat so you have a sweat mixed with blood it causes the skin to become fragile and tender and have minimal blood loss and it has been documented down through the centuries that this is a known fact and has actually been proven recently by modern medical science. They have tested the sweat and seen red blood cells in it in peer-reviewed medical journals. So this is a real entity. And here's just another picture of that. 
So it definitely occurs. So he's under tremendous stress before anything happens. Now, before he even gets the pilot, before this happened, he was in good health, right? They didn't drive. They were walking all around. They had a walking ministry. They're walking up and down mountains and down hills all over Jerusalem. And so he would have been in good health. And he would have gone into this thing as a healthy man. But we know that by the time he reached crucifixion, he would have been beaten. He would have suffered the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would have been physically beaten before Pilate, and we'll see he would have been whipped and scourged. And all these trials that he was going through the night of his crucifixion and before it were about two and a half miles, if you map it all out. So that's still a decent amount of walking for going through what he went through. By the time he would have reached Pilate in the morning, after having gone through all that, and this is before he was scourged, he was weak, he had been beaten three times, he was dehydrated, He had suffered mental and physical abuse. And he was battered and sleepless and exhausted. And things are just getting going. Now let's talk a little bit about the scourging. Matthew says, Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Luke uses the word chastise. And John says to them, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. There's actually a couple of different Greek words here. Matthew uses the word uh, fragello, from what we get our word for whip or flagellum. And John uses the word mastigo, which means to, to whip. Now, the Roman scourging was a severe thing. They would tie people to a post, and they would whip them with what's called a cat of nine tails. And they would whip them sometimes to the point of their death. Sometimes their bowels and everything would even come out just from the scourging. First Peter says, by whose stripes you are healed. This word stripes is another word, malops, which is a medical term for a bruise or a wound from a severe beating. It's a specific medical term. The severity is not mentioned in the Gospels. The only thing I've ever seen that does it justice is the movie The Passion of the Christ, which I think everyone at some point should watch, because that's about as accurate, but it was actually probably even worse than that. Isaiah says his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Wow. You're going to see why in just a second here. He would have had severe bleeding and trauma. He would have suffered what our doctors call hypovolemic shock, which means you lose so much blood, so much circulate of your fluids on the inside that your body can't pump uh, things around adequately. The pain and the suffering from this would cause severe emotional and nervous system trauma and overload. Now this is an exact replica to the best that we know. There's only one guy in the world who makes this of a real Roman whip that they would have used for the lictors. And it has leather straps. It has pieces of glass, nails, and lead weights or metal on the ends. And there was anywhere from about six to ten of these things on the whip. Now, I'm going to whip this box... Now, this is thick cardboard. It is a lot 
stronger and thicker than skin. So keep that in mind. And what I want you to be thinking about is this isn't just man being cruel to a criminal. There's a purpose in this. This happened for a reason he had to endure this for you and your sin and mine and all of ours. It was necessary. I can't explain how or why, but you see, I don't think we get it how fallen man is, how bad the sin that was, how depraved we really are, because we live in a society that's like, oh, everything's nice, and we go to school, and we save, and we retire, and yeah, we have trials and tribulations, but for the most part, this is presented as a normal life. It's not normal. It only seems normal. Once in a while, a great tragedy will pull back the veil and you'll say, wow, things really are messed up. Child dies or someone dies at a young age or you know, something happens. But this may help pull back that veil. Now, hopefully the box will stay on. Sometimes it moves. I have about 40-pound weights in there. Now, you can feel the power of that. I wasn't even going as hard as I can. It ripped this box to shreds. It's cardboard. Can you imagine what it did to a human body? The Jewish law said 39 times was the max. Romans didn't have to obey that. So we don't know really... How many times? But Isaiah said his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any man. And it was necessary for sin. He who is forgiven much loves much. We need to understand how much we've been forgiven. And remember, too, that the crucifixion, this is mainly just part of the physical price that he paid for sin. There's a spiritual price that happens actually on the cross. We haven't even gotten there yet. Now let's talk a little bit about crucifixion itself. This has been well documented down through the centuries that it was the most cruel and hideous of tortures. There was a long beam called the patabulum. The vertical um, um, part of the cross is called the stipes. And sometimes there was a sign above it. There's a little footrest there for the feet, which we will explain. Now Jesus carried the only the top bar. In the movie, they have him carrying the whole cross. That probably did not happen because it weighed at least 300 pounds. And often the vertical part was kept up on the hill wherever they were doing the crucifying, so they didn't have to bring that back and forth. Only the criminal would have to carry the crossbar. So he probably only carried the crossbar. It weighs probably about 110 pounds. In the state that he was in, he couldn't have carried the entire thing um, anyway. It would have been too heavy. He wouldn't have been in a good enough physical condition to do it. It's about a 650-yard journey from the Antonia Fortress where Pilate was out to Golgotha, at least where we think it was. We know approximately where it was. People argue about what site it was. But if you measure, it's approximately 650, 700 yards. 
And that may not seem like a lot, but that's almost seven football fields. And if you've been beaten and whipped and going through all this, you have to carry um, that. And we know that um, from Matthew that it, the, the Lord had a man help him carry the cross. That's a really interesting story to ponder, too, because this guy was there for the feast. He would have been defiled. He would have been picked out of the crowd and like, great, the whole t- reason I came for the feast is ruined because now I'm defiled. I can't participate. And this man was carrying the cross of Christ, of God. I mean, we, we know, we think from, from putting together some things in the, genie, in the, in the references of names that his, fan, his sons were in the Roman church. So this guy eventually figured out what happened. But someone had to help him carry it because it was just too heavy. He wasn't in a good enough condition. In preparation, they would sometimes give them a drink, you know, mixed with myrrh, which is a, or gall, which is an analgesic. Um, this was uh, by Roman law. The criminal was then thrown on the ground on his back with his arms outstretched. Now, Jesus did not take this. Why? Because he had to feel the full brunt of the pain. He wasn't going to have any any pain reliever. When the victim was thrown to the ground on his back in preparation for the crucifixion of his hands and wrists, the scourging wounds would most likely be torn and rubbed against the contamination of the dirt in the back and the splinters. And um, just imagine how painful a little wound can be, but his whole back was ripped to shreds, and now they're laying him on this wooden beam, and they're dragging him around. So, I mean, that's certainly any little touch would have accentuated it. Now, let's just talk about this for a second, crucifixion with the nails. It was actually doubted, believe it or not, until recently. Now we know if you read the scriptures for what they are, which is the way you should read them in their plain, normal sense, that obviously Jesus had nails, but the scholars often have to doubt everything in their infinite wisdom. But it has been recently proved. It seems like God likes to let the scholars boast against things in the Bible, and then after they've boasted and published for 10 years, then he comes out with an archaeological confirmation that makes them all look foolish. And that was the case here. It was often considered legendary. They thought that nails could not support the weight of the body, um, and so that it wasn't something that was done. And a guy in the 30s at Harvard um, published and said that uh, it was, there's a little evidence of it in history. We don't have any evidence that it was done. Most of the descriptions that we have don't give the details of exactly what they did. So he concluded that they must have used ropes to tie their hands and wrists to it. But then we found this. This is a a really interesting story that you can go and look up on your own, but they found a uh, in a a tomb in Jerusalem a uh, crucified bone where the nail was still in there. This is through the heel bone. It's approximately five to seven inches long with a square shaft across, and it's called the Yohanan Crucified Man. So we know that they did use nails now, and you can see how they even have it bent back so you can't get it out. You can go online and look at these pictures. Very interesting. Here's a better look at it. Now, 
Now let's just talk a little bit about the anatomy of the wrist and the hand. Got a couple different models up here. Come up after you're done and look at these, but you can see that here's the, the hand and the wrist. And you can see that if you put the nail, and these are some, well, they're supposed to be real ancient crucifixion nails here, that if you put it through the hand, it's, there's going to be nothing for it to hold on to, right? Because this is just flesh and web here, even all the way down to the base of what the, the, these uh, car- metacarpal bones are. However, if you put it through these guys in here, or at the base of these two, you would have something for it to hold on to, and it could support the weight. And we'll see that that's actually uh, what was done. In the drawing here, you can see approximately, right there, that little red mark is approximately where they would have put the nail through the wrist. Now, there's some structures here that are important. There is a very large nerve that goes through the middle of this called the, the, uh, the median nerve. And if you've ever banged your funny bone, you know, that can really hurt. Well, if someone puts a nail through it, it's going to kill. And it's going to continue to irradiate and shoot a very severe and lancinating pain. So beside the point that the nail is going to go through and the pain of all that, when you hit the nerve, it's like going to amplify it by like a hundredfold. And the nail would have definitely hit that in that compartment there. Here's just another drawing of it. And I, and I, I will mention also, I forgot to say this, that in your handout is this, de- this article. Everyone gets a copy of the article on the physical death of Jesus Christ, published in the Journal of the American Medical Association back in 86. And it's a great article. Everyone should read it. And a bunch of doctors looked at the crucifixion, and this has been done actually for a few centuries, and they made some very good conclusions and gave us a lot of these drawings and everything. So everyone will get a a copy of that. Now this is interesting. We can't get into the Shroud of Turin, but the Shroud of Turin, some people say it is uh, from Jesus, some people say it's not. The evidence is pretty compelling, but anyway, what we do learn is you can see here the blood stain in this image. And in this image, the photographic negative, that it was indeed not the hand, but right at the wrist. Okay? So we do know that that's the area that they used. And the Greek word for, quote, hand includes this whole area here. So it says sometimes it's a translational problem. When, when the Greek word hand, it didn't mean from the wrist below or just the hand. It meant this whole section kind of from like the middle of your forearm down. So it does not contradict the word hand. You could have translated it hand and wrist. You could have translated it lower forearm, and it would be accurate with the actual word that was used. Palms could not support the weight, as we said. But they've actually done some experiments on uh, uh, cadavers and things, and they've shown that you can actually... Um, support the weight of, of something that heavy with, um, uh, with a nail going through the wrist in the right spot. And in the Passion movie, they actually show ropes and nails. I don't know why they did that. That's possible. They could have put that up there as extra support. We don't know. Again, we don't have those descriptions uh, uh, available to us. And then moving on to the ankle. The red dots show two places that they would have used. 
We know that they definitely used the one from the skeleton that we found. You can come up and look at this later, but it would have gone through just about like that. Now that's a big, that's a bone, and here's the actual bone here. You need to come up and look at this. That's going to hurt. And it's either going to go through or it's going to shatter that bone and go through the middle of it, which would really hurt. Now this through the center or the front here isn't going to hurt any less either because this is just bone, but if you go through the center here, there's also the same kind of nerve that you have on the wrist that provides a lot of innervation that would cause a lot of shooting and lancinating pain um, for the ankle. And this diagram from the Medical Association just shows that if it was put right through there, there are these nerves that come through there that it would have hit. So needless to say, it would have caused a lot of pain. And you can see in the Passion movie, that's what they show. This was probably a bigger nail. That's, and then if it was done with the... Um, If it was done from the side, they would have had to nail them to the cross like that. And there's actually a recent movie, trying to think of what it was called, and um, they showed the crucifixion that way. So they were trying to make it, you know, more up to date with the medical, at least the archaeological knowledge that we have. They do show the person being crucified from the side. Now, was Jesus crucified with nails? Yes, he was. I'm not going to read through all these. I'll just read Luke. Behold my hands and my feet. That this I myself handle me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He's not just showing them his hands. He's showing them the crucifixion marks, right? He, the, the, the remnants of what, it, what, what was there. Best of my knowledge, the marks of the crucifixion are the only man-made thing in heaven. Think about that. God chose to lo- let them remain on his body. So we know from the scriptures that he was. And then also, if we look at the Shroud of Turin again, you can see here that there is a blood stain right at the ankles of the feet. Right there. So go online and look at the Shroud of Turin. Just Google it and come up Google images and you can see them. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Now, suffering from crucifixion. All kinds of suffering from being on the cross. So obviously, there's the pain of just... Um, being on the cross and having all the stuff that's been done to you. Uh, There is the um, uh, issue with breathing, which we'll talk about, where the trouble is is that when you're hanging like this, you can't um, exhale. So breathing's reversed. Normally we take a deep breath in, and that's active, right? And our lungs fill up, and then when we relax, the air comes out naturally. You do not have to work to breathe in. Well, on the cross, it's the opposite. The air will naturally flow in because your, your vertebral muscles and your pectoral muscles are all paralyzed. So the air flows in, but you can't exhale without actively engaging everything. So what they would have to do, they, 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 the only way to do it is to push up on that foot pedal that they gave them or push up against the nails. So you can imagine the pain from you know, your back rubbing up against the, the wood and then the pain of the, um, having to push against you know, the nails driven through your feet. But that's the only way that you could keep breathing. 
And the cause of death, we'll talk about a little bit in a minute, is actually from, you die of mainly of asphyxiation. Gosh, I can't even say it. Um, you, you suffocate. And you know, you step back and you look at this and you understand. But it's almost hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, not that we don't believe. We believe, but just to think that God was on that cross, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. No one really knew what was going on. The God-man on the cross for us. Psalm twenty-two, fourteen says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. So he's on the cross. He's suffering dehydration, severe pain. He is slowly suffocating to death. He's in agony from the nerve pain. His heart is probably racing at 150 or 200 beats a minute because there's so little fluid in there. He's in what would be called a um, hypovolemic shock or heart failure from a lack of fluid within his his vascular, his, his blood flow system. This is in the article that I gave you, but this just shows you the comparison between inhalation is your active normal breathing and then exhalation, which is normally uh, involuntary. You breathe in and you relax and then the blood, you, you naturally exhale. It's reversed. So the issue for them is they've got to try and get, they can get a breath in, they can't get it out. It doesn't matter which way you falter. If you hold your breath, you'll die. If you take a breath in and can't let it out, that means you can't get another one you'll die because you can't breathe. And that's the way most of them died. And that's the reason why they would break the legs to speed up the death is because then they would die very quickly from not being able to breathe. And we know from the scriptures that they didn't have to do that because Jesus was already dead. They didn't have to break his legs. In the movie, they broke the legs of the two criminals and then they would die very quickly because then they can't can't push up. And they put the thing on there to actually increase the torture. Because, you know, suffocating is kind of a miserable thing, and so your natural human response is to fight it. Even if it's painful, you're going to try and not suffocate to death. The death of Jesus on the cross. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, we know that man didn't kill him. We know that he weighed down his own life and that God's in control. Uh, Luke says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. John added, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He gave it up. Okay, so God's in control, but he is in a human body. And he is going to die a human death. And I just show you all this because there's, you know, crazy theories where people try and get out of the resurrection said he didn't really die. And that somehow he was put in the tomb and then he came out of the tomb. But, you know, look, nobody who's gone through this will be able to fake that they were resurrected. Right? You know, that you're somehow brought back to eternally mortal life. No one could survive this anyway. That's the point. It's impossible. You're listening to a special talk given by Dr. Greg Veeman at Calvary Chapel, Wilmington, 
on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ from a medical perspective. We'll get back to more of Dr. Vuman's talk right after this. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 